0: Hi, my name is Stephen Luna. I'm the lead pastor of MWC Church. We're so glad you chose to join us for this podcast. My prayer is that it would be a blessing in helping you grow closer to Jesus and help you grow in your faith. Enjoy this week's sermon. John chapter 8. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Uh, it's, it's an excellent portion in scripture. We will be there as you're turning there. Let me go ahead and tell you this story. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a friend whose name was Daly. Everybody say Daily. That's a a girl's name, and he was a boy. So you could imagine how difficult life was for Daly, who also went to an all-boys Catholic high school with me and a bunch of other guys. Uh, When I was in high school, 8 Mile is a movie by this... person named Eminem, Slim Shady, right? Uh, it, was, it was a big movie. I wasn't a Christian, don't judge me yet, but uh, I, I grew up on, on that, and, and we used to have these roast battles, and Daly would always lose simply because his name was Daly. and uh, th- this was this was the kind of kid who was was, was really quiet and short, and, and he had big old eyes, and he looked like a mouse, right? Uh, he was on our soccer team, so he was an acquaintance of mine. He was a friend of mine, uh, but but his, his name was Daly and it was a girl's name, and we always would razz him. We'd always give him a hard time, uh, that all stopped on one day. You see, after school, we would have soccer practice, and, and the way Chicago would, would work out their busing program or their busing system, uh, you'd have to wait 45 minutes to, for practice to start because students had to get to the fields and, this, like, and things like that. We didn't have just a lot of property, so we'd have to get to the fields, and they'd give us 45 minutes to get to the fields. So they, they dismissed, and we thought to ourselves, after school, me and a couple of guys, Daly was one of them, we'd go to McDonald's and uh, get some protein. Get some high quality protein. So make chicken. All right. So so we're like we've got forty five minutes back in in high school, and I can like eat garbage and then still perform well. Now I eat garbage and I'm just garbage, <laughs> all the time. Uh, but back in high school, I could do that. So, so anyway, we, we got we got into this 2000 Buick Lesabre, and it was me and like uh, sick like me, two other Mexicans and like an Asian guy, two black guys up front, and like some, some of us in the trunk, and we're just rolling around, right? Like like so, we, we, the whole soccer team in this 2000 Buick Lesabre, and we're driving to McDonald's. We turn left, and we're like, okay, 45 minutes. That's not a lot of time to go to McDonald's, but it, o- the only way we can do this is if we like put on some uh, Mission Impossible music and bust out our Fast and the Furious, right? So we put on our sunglasses and we're, we, we put on Mission Impossible and we're just like gunning it. We, we turn down on 35th Street, make a left on Wabash and we're going down, we're going down four, four blocks. There's the nearest McDonald's. We, we turn into McDonald's. We, we order 20 McChickens for like four of us. Uh, right before soccer was great, uh, and, and, then, and then we we speed back, and we're on our way back, and we're we're, we're timing ourselves, and we're like we're we're, we're perfect in our timing. There, there's nothing wrong. We're gonna make it. And the moment I said that, whoop, 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 a cop, a police officer, one of Chicago's finest, pulls up behind us, and uh, he was one of those police officers that uh, have you ever seen them? They, they wear aviator sunglasses. Like just the biggest sunglasses you can, because really, if they took off their glasses, they'd have Terminator eyes. Um, so, so he, he he gets out the car and he asks for a license and registration, and then uh, the the driver of the vehicle gives the license, gives the registration, and I'm and I'm sitting on in the passenger seat, but the back seat. Daly's next to me, and Daly just says something. He he opens up his mouth. He's like here, take mine too. He had a Mickey Mouse voice. So he he, he gives his license, and, and we're just thinking like, daily. that's not how this works. Like, he just needs the driver's license, and then the car, the vehicle registration. But we're like, whatever, this kid's weird, and he's got a girl's name. We're just gonna let that slide. So, so anyway, Daly gives him the license. They take the driver's license, and, and he goes back. The police officer goes back, and he's not gone more than a minute. And he comes back, and he Hands back the stuff, and he said, "Daily, have a good day." And he gives he gives Daily his light, his register, his uh, license back, and and we're just like, "What just happened?" Like like Daily, what, what is going on? Well, little did we know, Daily, his name wasn't really Daily. At least it wasn't his first name. His first name was Tom. His last name was Daily. He was the uh, the nephew of Mayor Richard J. Daily, the Chicago Mayor. So this whole time, we're making fun of Daley, and he happens to be the nephew of the mayor of Chicago, and I don't know if you know anything about Chicago, but, like, I don't even know who the mayor is in Wichita, but in Chicago, the mayor's a big deal. He's, like, the president, right? Um, so, so, I mean, it was, it, it was Richard Daly's nephew, and not just that. His other uncle was a lieutenant in the police force. So this guy had all the hookups. Like, this guy, like, he, he could get, like, we're like, all right, next week, we're robbing a bank. Like, let's go. But it was because who daily knew, it was, it was because of who he was in relationship with, that he was able to keep us all from being in trouble, from getting in trouble. I'll never forget that story because it was one of the first times, one of my first times that I came to understand not just grace, but Chicago politics. <laughs> it was all because who we knew that we were freed of the speeding charges that we were rightfully and deserving of. See the point is this Jesus isn't the nephew of a mayor who broke a law and unjust and then just unjustly waived a fine. Instead, he's the son of a king who broke no law. And instead of allowing us to pay for the penalties of our sin, he came and took upon flesh, never broke any laws, and didn't wave a magic wand that waived the fine for our sins. Instead, he chose to take up the penalty of our crimes. And what was the penalty of our crimes? The death penalty. That was the sentence, but God in his righteousness would raise Jesus from the grave, and by our acceptance of his actions, that grace is imputed to us. That grace has the ability to justify us in the eyes of God once and for all. And if, if that wasn't enough, it also has the ability to change and transform us. Daily got me out of one speeding ticket, but guess what happened when I was speeding in El Dorado? There was no daily, and even if I did have daily, it wouldn't have helped. It have said, "Richard Mayor, who you slapped him, right? Slapped the kid. But Jesus' authority is not limited to a city or a time period. His authority is eternal. it's forever. He's not the nephew of a mayor. He's the son of a king. He is the king. And Jesus extends to us because of who he is. And if we're in relationship with him, he justifies us. Everybody say, justify. Justify. The moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I pray that some of you in this place make that declaration this morning. But the moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what happens? You are justified in the eyes of God. The sin that was once there is no longer there. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so he has cast my sins from me. To the lowest depths of the ocean floor, my sin is right there. My sin is no longer mine. Jesus has taken it up on the cross, and it is his blood that is poured over a multitude of sins. And that word multitude in the Greek is is kind of tongue-in-cheek because he's literally saying all of them. All of them. But it's simply by accepting and being in relationship with him. He justifies us. You see, grace is a once and for all moment that purifies us and justifies us from all sin. This moment of salvation is called justification. We've been justified in the eyes of God. But I wanna teach you another word. Afterward, after we've been justified in the eyes of God, we have the freedom and I would say obligation to walk in his power and daily experience, this new word, you ready for it? Sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Sanctification literally means holiness, right? To, to become more and more holy. How many of you, the moment you accepted Jesus, you were perfect? You never sinned again. Show of hands, anybody. You never sinned again, one hand. You have bad theology. anybody? Just kidding, brother. No, no, there's no hands. Why? Because we understand this, that, that we're not perfect. And if anybody's coming to this church saying that, like, oh, Christians are just so smug. They act like they're holier than thou, and they, they think their, their poop don't stink, or I, don't, I can't say that, from, their doo-doo don't stink. Shouldn't have said that from the pulpit. Anyway, it does. We still sin. We still sin, but but can I I tell you this? Hebrews 10, 14 tells me this. For by one sacrifice, by one sacrifice, by Jesus' sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Look at this passage, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Are we justified in the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of God? Yes. But are we being made holy? Yes. It's a process that we are in. One commentator said it this way, in Christ, we are free from the penalty of sin, which is judgment, and the power of sin, which is a bondage to sin. But while still alive on earth, we are not free from the presence of sin and the possibility of sin. Can I read that one more time? Because this is good theology. This is something you need to learn. We need to learn this. In Christ, we are free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. But while still alive on the earth, we are not free from the presence of sin and the possibility of sin. Sin can no longer have its grip on me. I I, I am justified. I'm no longer, it's no longer a judge over me because of Jesus. God is my judge. And he, the verdict is clear. I'm innocent because of Christ. So the penalty of sin is no longer there. And the power of sin, I no longer have to be bound and captive by sin. I believe sometimes in the church, we just say, well, sin's just gonna be a part of life. So, so we, we, we hold ourselves captive. We're just gonna, to hold it's a prison sentence. No, 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 we are set free from the bondages of sin. Go read Romans chapter six, verse six and seven, which specifically says, I am no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. We are no longer slaves to sin. But while we are saved by grace, we still need to grow. And can I tell you this? God's desire for your life, after you've accepted Christ, is for you to find freedom. We've said this, we are in... Growth Track. This is a series that we're working through. Eventually, this is going to be a class that my prayer and hope is that we take everybody at MWC through. Growth track is going to help you become the mature Christian God has called you to be. Listen, it's it's not about just coming to church. This is important. It's important to come to church. It's important to be among the saints. Hebrews is clear on that. But we also know that we need to grow in our faith. We said last week, the number one, the foundation for how we grow is by knowing God. Everybody say, know God. We need to know God. And the beautiful thing is that we serve a God who wants to be known. That's beautiful. The creator of the universe wants to be known. We talked about that last week. This week, we're taking it a step further, and we're saying this. The next step is to find freedom. Find freedom. We're going to read this in John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. Just some quick context. In John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, there are two sides of the same coin. Jesus is at the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and it is a feast that Israel would would celebrate in Jerusalem, remembering the time when God led them through the wilderness and provided for them, the Feast of Booths. And and, uh, they would bring their first fruits, and they would celebrate for seven days. Listen, if you think church is boring, you never read the Bible, Because like the bible like god make has so many commands to his people like you will party Okay, like that's literally god's you're just gonna party the way i've defined partying and it's really cool Lots of food. Thank the lord lots of dancing and singing. Thank the lord. Um, but there's no debauchery So anyway, I don't know why I said that. Um in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, Jesus goes to the Feast of the Booths, and, and, and he, brings, he brings up some powerful teaching. He, he stands up and arises, and he says, I am the light of the world. And, and, he, and, he, and he brings this other teaching to the people, and he says this, um, if you thirst, come and drink for me, and you'll never thirst again. And out of you will, will flow waters of, of living, of life. Like Jesus brought all this stuff up and and people were making a decision. Should I continue to follow Jesus or should I continue in my opposition towards him and, and kind of walk away from this? And there were some people who made a decision to follow him. Some of you think that Jesus only had 12 disciples. No, Jesus had hundreds of followers, hundreds of them, but many of them. In fact, all of them eventually abandoned him and would then come back after he resurrected. Just beautiful story. But There's a moment where some of them were starting to waver in their faith. And in John chapter eight, we see a group of believers, people who already made a decision. Cognitively, they said, man, this Jesus is the Messiah. But then look what Jesus says to them. Remember, their first step is not just to know God, but to find freedom. Look what happens. In John chapter eight, verse 31 to 36. To the Jews who had believed in him. Were they believers? Yes, it says it. To the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really. My disciples. What, is that? what would that text imply? If it says really my disciples, then that could also mean the the inverse, which is this. There are some who aren't really his disciples. There may be some believers, but they're not really disciples. Maybe they've made a, a cognitive decision where they've aligned their philosophy to the theology of scripture. And, and maybe they believe in, in a powerful creator a God. They, they believe in Jesus, but they're not truly disciples. And, and I can't quantify what that looks like or when that happens. That's between you and the Lord. But, but to the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the first thing we see here? The first thing we see here is that believing in Jesus is only the first step. There needs to be a progressive state of saying, I am going to be a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple. Is believing in Jesus the important step? Absolutely. It's integral. It's integral. You are saved by grace. There are no works involved. Your salvation is not in your hands. It's simply by believing and confessing your mouth and saying, Jesus, you are my Savior, that you are saved. There's no amount of doing. But but can I just tell you this? Justification is all faith-based. But discipleship, although empowered by God to do everything you need to do, you still need to partner with him. And that word there that Jesus says, Those who are truly my disciples, he says, they hold to my teachings. That word hold in the Greek literally means to abide, to cling to, to cleave. In the same way, Jesus said that a, a son would leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, cleave to his wife. That is the exact same word used there, that holding, this, this holding on for dear life. If I were to give an illustration, it would be this. Suppose you were dangling from a cliff and someone threw you a rope. The way you would hold on to that rope is, is essentially the illustration that is meant there by that word hold. Um, you don't hold on to the rope and you're just like, oh, but my snow cone, I can't lose my snow cone. Right? Like, like you don't hold on to the perilous things of, of the world that don't even matter. You're like, nope, my life is is valuable. I'm holding on to this dear rope. Jesus says this, if you are really my disciple, you will hold on for dear life to my words. You won't have other isms in the way. Some of us in the church, we, we hold on to Jesus, and we also say, as long as I can hold on to my conservatism, or, or my capitalism, or liberalism, or republicanism, and all these different isms, and Jesus is like, listen, hold on to me, and whatever is true will filter through. One of the greatest insults, at least the person meant it to be an insult, but I didn't take it that way. I was proud. They told me this, you're too conservative, and then on the, that same day, someone said, you're too liberal, and I'm like, that means I'm perfect for Jesus, because <laughs> my theology isn't filtered through what's happening politically. My theology is rooted in Christ and in the scriptures. Some people even called me a socialist. I'm like, I'm not, though. I'm not. That's a scary word. Anyway, let's keep going, all right? All uh, right. But he goes on, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, There are so many colleges and universities that use that passage. Uh, The truth will set you free because they have defined truth to be academic truth, knowledge, uh, absolute truth, right? Uh, But that doesn't set you free. Knowledge, truth doesn't set you free. It just elevates your ability to know things. It is only Jesus who can set you free. Jesus was not talking about learning some books and, and so, some, some textbooks. He was literally talking about himself there. And I I am the truth, because even he said, I am the way the... Yeah, yes, you know it. So, so literally, you will know the truth. You will know me, and the truth will set you free. Continues on, continues on. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Ah, uh, oh, the Jews, I love them. In scripture, but they, they say some silly things. They said, We, have, we are sons of Abraham. What, 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 are they, what are they implying by that? Um, they are specifically, explicitly saying, because of who we are related to, that we are in right standing with God. It's, it's the same way that my children, I hope they never say this, but they might think to themselves, I've been going to church forever. I've been saved since I was born. No, no. Listen, when, when I quantify how much, my, my kids spend a lot of time in church. Can I just be honest? Like they go to church like almost three times a week. Um, just, but if we're just going to count weekend services, they are here two times every weekend, Saturday at 5 o'clock and then Sunday at 10.30. Um, my kids, just August, for example, August and Aubrey, they've been alive, I think, for like 400 weeks. Um, don't, can I just say something? Don't be that person who like, your kid's like 15 years old and you're still counting months. Just don't do that. Um, but but anyway, uh, August, he, he's, he's been alive for almost 400 weeks, and in their lifetime, um, he has gone to church, would, would, be, would be the equivalent, if he went every single weekend, he would gone to church for seven and a half years at, at three years old, or almost four years old. The average Christian, though, goes to church two times a month, so if we were going to put him on the average scale, August is already 15 years in church years. <laughs> but it doesn't matter how much he goes to church or who he's related to. It doesn't matter if he's a son of Abraham or a son of Stephen. Eventually, he's going to have to make a decision to follow after Jesus and be a disciple. Someday, Aubrey's going to have to make that decision. And they're so close. They're so cute. They love the Lord. They love Jesus. Desi, I don't know. we got to pray for that one. <laughs> that kid's deck is destructive. I love him, though. But they said, we, we, we are sons of Abraham. And, and Jesus like, you silly Jews. It's not, it's not, he gets to that in a second. But then they say something else that is really silly. They, they say, we have never been slaves of anyone. And I just want to like jump back into the Bible and slap them upside the head and be like, are you kidding me? Moses, Egypt, and then Syria, and then Assyria, and then, and then Babylon, and then Egypt again, and then Greece, and currently you're living under the, you're a vassal state of Rome. You have never seen freedom. Are you kidding me, guys? But here, here's something that happens. Pride blinds us. And some of you this morning are saying, I'm not a slave to anyone, but you're a slave to sin. Sin controls you. It dictates your every decision. And you may be sitting back in your seat, gripping your chair, saying, I'm no, I'm no slave. I'm, I'm my own man. I'm, I'm a lone ranger. I blaze my own trail. No, you are a slave, friend. You're so insecure. You're you're, you're just full of anxiety. You're not free. You're you're up to your ears in the debt of what people think of you. So Jesus is trying to give a reality check. He's like, listen, you may be sons of Abraham, and that's great, but you haven't experienced freedom until you've seen me. You need to know God and find freedom. The Bible's clear. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the glory of his good standard, of his godly standard. 2 Peter 2.19 would also say, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. You may say right now, you know what, Pastor? I I, am a follower of Jesus. I, I, w- I would say that I, I know God. Maybe I haven't found freedom quite yet. There's still that, that thing that I'm working with. My, maybe for you, it's your mouth, you you just have words explode or maybe it's rage or anger or frustration or anxiety or or pornography or lust or whatever it may be or or your, your vice or addiction or whatever, you may say, I have control over this sin. And it may be true momentarily, but eventually that sin will grow and get out of control. Or if it doesn't, your pride will. Because it takes great pride to think you can still tolerate sin and have a strong relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to bring freedom. And you can already identify what you need freedom from because it controls your decisions. You're a people pleaser. You fear man more than you fear God. You lust. You've got a mouth that doesn't honor the Lord. We've got these sins. We need to find freedom. And God wants to bring us to freedom. So what does, he, what does Jesus continue to say? He replies to them in verse 34. Jesus replied, he said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, everyone who has ever sinned is a slave to sin. And he says something very interesting in verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let me explain that. A slave may live in the house of his master, but has no rights in the home. But if the son frees the slave and welcomes him into the family, he is a member forever. We are in the family of God, but sin keeps us as slaves. Only Jesus has the power to set us free and make us true members of the family. Our freedom starts and continues through Jesus. He alone has the authority to set us free from sin. Society may say, may say to you, you just need to think healthier thoughts and, and meditate and maybe do some yoga poses. And, and by those disciplines, you will be set free from whatever it is that controls you. But that's not true. You will find yourself exactly where you started in bondage. And the only answer can be Jesus. And here's some good news. Jesus' favorite activity is to set people free. He's not the kind of savior who says, I gave you a chance and slaps you and says, I'll see you next week, right? Like, no. He's the kind of savior who stoops down to us and he says, are you ready for freedom? Are you ready for deliverance? Why, how do we know that? Because we see in time and time again in Luke 4, we see him go to the temple as was his custom. He would go to the synagogue in his own hometown, and he would he said this, and I believe the spirit of the Lord is, is declaring the same over us. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's he's literally quoting from the book of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus also said that the thief has only come to steal, kill, and destroy in John ten ten. but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. For you, that abundant life is a Bentley in your driveway, but I'm talking about that abundant life where you aren't held bound by any sin, that you have freedom in Christ, that you don't allow finances to dictate your every move, that you don't allow the thoughts and the the, what what are they going to say about what I'm doing, that that you don't try to keep up with the Joneses because you're trying to keep up with Jesus. That kind of freedom, where if the Lord speaks something to you and he says, hey, I want you to cut that check for $10,000 and just give it to to that mission, you're like, oh, sure, absolutely, Lord, it's yours anyway. But you're not like, well, Jimmy's going to college. Maybe I should just give a 1,000, right? Like, no, the Lord is the one who dictates. The Lord is the one who, who tells me where to go. He is the ruler. He's in control. I'm not a slave to anything but to him, but to him. So here's a couple of things. How many of you know that right thinking leads to right doing? If I, if I were to title this sermon, uh, Find Freedom, you would want to, some of you may say, well, give me some application steps so that I can just live in freedom. But, but I would say, Let, let's start with some good thinking, and then we'll talk about good doing. Can we start there? Good thinking. The first thinking, the thing that you need to know is this. Uh, in order to find freedom, it means this. Knowing Jesus doesn't mean instant perfection. We need to be fully convinced of that. Just because I'm a follower of Jesus doesn't mean I am instantly perfect. I'm progressively perfect. Being perfected. I'm in a progress. I'm, I'm still in process. How many of you are thankful that you are still in process? Look to your spouse and say, I'm still working on it, honey. Jesus is working on me. So, like, like some of you need to just, like, give give that your spouse permission to grow. Some of you are looking at your sibling like, you stink. <laughs> We're still growing, right? Knowing Jesus doesn't mean instant perfection. I mean, just an example of this. Do you remember when when the Lord delivered this, the uh, Hebrew people out of Egypt how, how quick was that, was that deliverance it was an instantaneous thing Jesus came we brought, or God came brought the plagues and boom they were out they crossed the Red Sea they were freed of Egypt in what was almost an instant they were justified in an instant but how long did it take to them to get to the promised land 40 years did you know this that 40 year journey was not because it was in a straight line it took them 40 years to get to that but they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And it wasn't because God didn't have Siri and had no GPS and he had no signal because he, like me, had Metro PCS and he had the worst service in the world. But it's because it took them 40 years to come to know the character of God. You see, they, they left slavery, but God had to get the slavery out of them. If you, would, if you would pinpoint where they were in Egypt and where the promised land was, guess how long the journey actually was or should have been or could have been? 11 days. An 11-day journey took 40 years. We're in a process. It doesn't mean we, we make excuses for our shortcomings. We still submit ourselves and repent of our sin but we do everything in our power to recognize that we are in a process of finding freedom. That's the first thing. The second one is this. Jesus desires to give you freedom. Can we just be comforted in that fact? It's not about your working for it. Jesus wants to give it to you. In fact, I would say this. No matter how much you want freedom from that sin or that addiction or that vice, no matter how much you cry and, and just weep at night and how many, times you, how many hours you've spent on your knees, just begging and pleading, God, give me Freedom! Can I just say that that amount of yearning for freedom pales in comparison to the amount of freedom God desires to give you? That is just freeing for me. That that God wants to give me the freedom that I so desperately desire. Before I knew Jesus, my language would make sailors blush. Can I just be honest with you? Uh, I got saved as a junior in high school. I'm ending with this. Got saved as a junior in high school. And um, I first got saved, and man, I was just on fire for the Lord. Like, I was telling everybody about Jesus. And while I was telling people about Jesus, I was also cussing in my testimony. Like, he's he's beeping awesome. Like, it was just like, God was working in me and through me. And then I got closer to him and closer to him and closer to him and he started revealing to me that, man, in James 5, that if, that if I'm going to be someone who, who, who praises the, the, the word or the, the name of God and, and curses men, that can't be. And that my, there should be no corrupting language that comes out of my mouth, but only that which is uplifting and encouraging for the body. And there should be no... Filthy or unwholesome talk and, and as I was just saturated in the scriptures a spirit began to speak to me and I became much more aware of my sin which leads me to my third point and it's this in order to find freedom here's something that you need to do in order to find freedom it's actually the next point you need to lose yourself in Jesus In order to find freedom, you need to lose yourself in Jesus. Listen, you can't find freedom through a class. You can't find freedom through just discipline. Literally, the way I tried to to get over my my, my cussing issue in, in high school, and I was almost a freshman in college, like in Bible college, I had a rubber band and every time I'd cuss, I'd just snap it. It's called aestheticism. Allowing the body to suffer for the pain and sin, and and I was trying to hurt myself for my own sin, and Jesus was like, I've already paid for that, son. I've already paid for that sin. Why Why are you trying to hurt yourself? You can't hurt yourself into holiness. You can only accept what I have accomplished. And the more and more I got into the word of God and the more I spent time in prayer, he began to change and transform me. And I was just disgusted by by vile language and speak. And I'm like, oh, I I just turned off completely. Like I could just like almost puke. And and God was rooting things out of me. It was his spirit and it was my partnering with him. So listen, if you are looking for freedom, it's not a 12-step program. It's Jesus. Are those things helpful? Sure. I will never denounce those things, but but it's Jesus that brings freedom. And you need freedom, and you've been praying for it, but I'm here to tell you that it's only through Jesus that we can, yeah, give him some praise. It's only through him. So here's one practical step I do want to give you. Right thinking leads to right doing. We already said that couple of right things. We need to know that justification is instant, but our sanctification is progressive. The moment you know Jesus, you're, you're, you're not done. That's just step one. We've already said that, that we need to be people that understand that God desires to bring us freedom. But now I want you to know something. How do you find freedom? You find freedom. You find freedom. Listen to this. We find freedom together. In order to find freedom, you need to find your family. To find freedom, you need to find your family. Everybody say family. The body of Christ is God's design for us to find freedom. We need each other. We need each other. Let me tell you about my cussing issue. It wasn't just something I. I realized it became an issue when I went to Bible camp or a uh, uh, church camp that summer one summer. And I told a friend, I was like, man, God has been doing so much in my life. Like, he's been changing me. In fact, I think here at camp, I don't think I cussed once. And my friend Anthony looks at me, he's like, dude, you've been cussing all week. And, 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 and I, I needed to hear that. But if I just hung out by myself and said, it's my personal relationship with Jesus, I would never have heard that. But it, it's, it's the church. It's my family. It was a brother who loved me enough to say, bro, let's clean this up. Let's, God has so much more in store for your life. And you've, you've gone so far, and God has taken you there, but let's keep going. In order to find freedom, you need to find a family. Listen, the church is a family. This is not your friends group. This is family. Every letter to the church starts with this, to the brothers and sisters in dot, 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 Corinth, Ephesus, Colossians, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, every single epistle, to my son in the Lord. Timothy, Titus. Every letter in the New Testament is to the families, to the church. Can I just tell you this, friend? If you can't look across the church, across the aisles, and see a body of siblings, you're doing church wrong. You are either closing yourself off or you're closing others off. It's time to jump in. First Corinthians 15 33 says this: don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 27:19 tells us that a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. If you're gonna find freedom, some of us, I would say all of us, need to either end certain relationships and redefine others. Now, I want to be clear. If you're married and you're a follower of Jesus, but your spouse is not, it is not the will of God for you to divorce your spouse. Scripture speaks of that specifically. It's through your example that salvation will come to the house. So stay in that relationship. But if you are friends with your drug dealer and you're trying to find freedom from drugs, friend, you need to end that relationship. If you have an issue with premarital sex and you're just like a bunny, speaking of adults here, you need to, to, to delete that app. You need to get rid of that relationship. You need to change your phone, your phone number. You need to destroy that thing. You need to move. But If we're going to find freedom, we need to find family. Lastly, you will always look, live, and love like the top five people or things that influence your life. Who you spend time with is important. Who you allow to speak into your life is important. The music, the movies that you, the entertainment that you have. Listen, I'm not. I'm not the kind of preacher that's just going to say holiness, holiness, holiness. Don't do anything that isn't on Christian radio. Like, like, listen. Uh, if it doesn't edify you or if it doesn't glorify Jesus, why do you want it anyway? That's my stance. I'm not going to give you a list of approved things for Christians. No, I'm going to say this. If it doesn't edify or glorify Jesus, why would you want it? It's not going to help. It's not going to help. But what you listen to, what you watch, who you hang out with, the things that you do, you will always look, live, and love like the top five things or people you've allowed to influence your life. So we need the church. That's why we need each other. And what is one of the practices? confession we need to confess our sins to another it is an art that has been lost in the church the only way to find freedom is to confess your sins to other loving and trustworthy christians and then pray about it but, but pastor can't i go straight to jesus yeah you can and he forgives your sins everybody say forgive The moment I go to Jesus, praise the Lord, I don't have to go to a priest to find forgiveness. He doesn't absolve me of sin. Jesus does. Thank the Lord that I can go straight to him. But something that we've lost in the church today is this, confessing our sins to each other. Why? Because when we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. But when we confess our sins to each other, we allow healing to take place. Where do we see this in Scripture? In James chapter 5, verse 16, he specifically says, the brother of the Lord, Jesus, says this, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When I confess my sin, I'm lowering my guard and I'm enter- allowing other people to come into my life and no longer be on the outside, the, the, the porch of my life, but I'm allowing them into the living space of my life and say, come look at t- in my life and peer. And if there's anything that doesn't belong there, call it out to me. And in fact, I got this issue. I want to I get rid of it. And guess what? They help shoulder the burden. That's why God has called us to be brothers and sisters And that's why I'm so thankful to announce that this fall we're launching into a new ministry, a a women's ministry, a sisterhood ministry, that we're just going to emphasize the ladies in the church getting together, building life, doing life together because we need each other. And the guys, we're doing the same thing this fall. We're going to start a men's group and, and do some just great crazy things and get into the Word and pray and confess our sins to each other because we know it brings healing, 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 healing. We go to God for forgiveness, but we go to God's people for healing. So here's how I want to end. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. I want us to take communion as we end this morning. Why communion? There was two reasons why the church took communion. Every time they would meet and gather, they would end their services with communion. Now, for them, it was more of a meal than it is... A wafer and some juice, like, like they would have some Chick-fil-A. If you were at church last night, we had some Chick-fil-A during communion. Just kidding. It was right afterwards. But there's two reasons why they, they ended with communion. The first one was because they were, they were confessing the truth that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And they did that together, saying that when we make this confession together, we are all claiming that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But the second reason we do it is because we understand that in doing so, we are united. So let me just pray over this, and I want us to end this, this service with communion. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. Lord, we know that you desire to bring us freedom and bring it in abundance. Thank you for this morning that we were able to celebrate the freedom of, uh, of Paul and his, and his uh, the the issue that he had with his leg that you brought freedom and healing to that leg God and that because of it you've you've also encouraged many of us and we've seen healing from various sicknesses and chronic pain and father we know that you're healing in this moment to the one that is holding on to resentment on forgiveness we pray that you'd bring healing And as we prepare our hearts and ourselves for this communion, may you speak to our hearts. May you humble us and help us to see that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and take this together. We're gonna pass this out. The word tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, hold on to it once you get it, because like family, we're gonna wait till everyone is served. It says on the night Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples and said, man, I've, I've been longing to meet with you and share this meal with you. And it was, it was a, a typical Passover feast. They would do this every single year. They would meet in Jerusalem and, and celebrate the Passover, the time when God delivered Egypt or uh, Israel out of Egypt. And there was a lamb that was sacrificed and it was placed over the door frames of the Jewish brothers and sisters, the Jewish children's home. And just by that simple act of sacrificing the lamb and placing the blood of that lamb over the doorpost, death passed that door, did not go into the home. Jesus was saying, now I'm telling you that today is the fulfillment of that long ago. That now it is my body and blood that is broken. My body that is broken, my blood that is shed. And if you put this over the doorpost of your heart, death will not enter your home. You will never see decay. You will have and experience freedom. So he met with his disciples and he took this bread and he said, I want each and every one of you to take it. So they took the bread they began to rip it apart and take a piece and they were holding it and Jesus was telling them as they were holding holding the portion that they ripped, he said, this is my body which is given to you. And then they began to eat that and then he had a cup and he blessed the cup and he passed and he said, I want each and every one of you to drink from this cup because this cup is symbolic of my blood, which would be delivered for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So let me just pray over this and then we'll consume together. Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus to bring us freedom. That because of his actions on the cross, we have been justified because the body that was broken, we have been justified, that you no longer look at us, but you see Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread together. The Bible also tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't just get hurt or scratched on the cross. He poured everything out and died for us. So we say as brothers and sisters in Christ that we all affirm that belief and that it is his blood that washes over all of us and purifies us all. Let's go ahead and take this together. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church, if you're thankful for Jesus and the freedom that he gives, can you just give him some praise this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, may you bless us as we go this week. May you encourage us, challenge us. Father, may you help us find freedom. May we understand that freedom is from you. It's a process, and it's one that you desire to bring us. Lord, help us this morning to start the realization that if we're going to find freedom, we need to find family that we need to end some relationships and redefine others, but we need to jump into this brotherhood and sisterhood that you called us to, this family, this body of Christ. And Lord, may we understand that we find freedom when we get lost in Jesus. May you help us this week to do just that. Give us freedom. Open up our eyes to the things that held us down and hold us back so that we can be the men, the women, the brothers, the sisters, the mothers, the fathers that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Guys, be blessed. And that wraps up today's message, but we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast. You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.